are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. He is risen. I'll see. Yeah, it's very well done. Very good. You beat the first two. We'll see how you last it, though. Endurance is the key here for us at the service. So let me pray, and then we are going to uh, just hear from the Word of God a little bit, and, uh, and then we'll sing again. So bow your heads, if you will. Father, I thank you for your Son, risen, alive, uh, giving us hope, giving us uh, peace, giving us joy. And we, we just gather with the millions and millions and millions of others this morning who have for the last 2,000 years proclaimed him as Lord, as Savior, as God, as Christ. He is our, our God who has paid for our sins. And so we want to honor him by hear, not only hearing from his word, but just by, by loving him, by singing to him, by knowing him. And, and if someone in this room is here uh, and they don't know you and they just kind of, this is kind of new to them and they're a little scared because it's a little intimidating, I just pray that you just help them to realize they're loved that you love them, that you sent your son for them. Just give me clarity. Just one more time, Lord Jesus, as I just point people to you in the empty tomb. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. Well, we again, we celebrate today uh, what millions and millions around the earth are celebrating. All the same thing. There was one time in human history where a man said, I will die and I will come back from the grave. And he pulled it off. And that's where we're here. I mean, that's, that's where we're here. And, and for me as a pastor, it's my 11th year uh, as a pastor of this church. And uh, first Easter, I mean, I remember it was, you know, 11 years ago, we had like 25 people. I'm like, everybody invite everybody. And, you know, and like 26 people came, you know, like one person. And that was like Grandma Joe, someone is in town, right? So super depressing after, you know, you know, when you're first, you're back then. And now I'm like, where are y'all coming from? Where you been? I, here we are at Easter, right? But there, there's a part of me at Easter that I love because it's, it's celebratory and we get pumped and we play loud music and we sing about great truths that we believe. But part of me, honestly, it just stresses me out, right? It's just, there's a piece that's like, there's all this pressure, right? Fowler better, Fowler better bring it, right? And we better sing good songs. Praise team better be on. We got to bring out the trumpet this week because... You know, we don't usually do that. And there's just all this pressure. And really, the motives are good. I mean, we're, I mean, it took me, I got it on the first time this morning. But I mean, at 6.30 in the morning, trying to figure this thing out. It, we, there's this like sense where we're trying to, you know, for those here, trying to be like, please, come back. Like if we do a really good job today in our nurseries and in our sermon and our music, then maybe there's a hope that you might come back this Christmas. I mean, maybe. <laughs> right? I mean, there's this kind of tension there, right? We'll do what we can, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll create a Christian dating ministry and we'll bring out iPads and, you know, what, and we're not going to do any of that really, but it kind of feels like that a little bit. But here's the reality for us is that we, we, we do it up. We wear ties. We don't normally do this. There is not normally flowers on the stage like this. By the way, if you're visiting with us, these flowers are yours. We want you to take them home, right? So take them home when we're done because Easter lilies are no good the week after Easter, right? Quite honestly, but we want you to have them. We didn't tell the early service that because then it'd be holes all over the stage. It would look crazy. <laughs> so you guys, just because you slept in, you get free flowers. Um, but, but it's kind of, you know, next week is kind of like, it feels a little, the week after Easter feels a little bit like, uh, you know, today is opening day of baseball season. You know, if you've ever been opening day at the stadium, 
You know, everyone's excited. We're tied for first, y'all. We're in first place today. And, you know, you bring the biggest flag in the state out and you do that. And then the, the jet planes are flying and everyone's, it's sold out. And then a month later, when you're 10 games out of first and you're playing the Pirates and no one cares about the Pirates, it's like empty, right? It, it feels a little bit like that the week after Easter. But what we want you to know is that for us, Today is just a reminder why we come back every week. We just believe that Jesus is worth giving our lives to. And the reason we believe that is because what he did 2,000 years ago today. Because he died on Friday and then he came out of the grave. And so well, I'm not going to try to wow you today. I can't do that. I have no more creativity. I'm too old and I've been doing this too long. So I'm not going to try to wow and impress. There'll be no dry ice. What I do want to do is I want you to... Point, some of you got that a little late. <laughs> I'm just going to point you to the empty tomb. And I'll let you just kind of hang there. All right? And so we're going to just look at that briefly. And, and again, a little bit shorter sermon today. Last, last service we had standing room only. It was crazy. So they were very happy about that. Uh, for you, you got a seat. So I could go a little longer if I wanted. But I'll, I'll, keep, it, I'll keep it brief. Because I just want you to see the empty tomb. I want you to linger there and see that that was for you. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. And where we pick up in the narrative, just to kind of backtrack, Jesus has been murdered. He was nailed to a Roman cross, his hands and his feet. And typically that took several days to die. But because he had been beaten so severely the night before, because he had been whipped by the cat and nine tails, and he was so devastated by the heaviness of our sin on him, it only takes six hours for Jesus to die. In fact, by the time they come to check on him, they're breaking the knees and the legs of the, of the two thieves next to him because they want to get him off the cross quick. Usually it takes a couple days, but it's Passover, so they want to get the bodies off the cross. By the time they come to Jesus, they don't break his legs because he's already dead. Right? And so that just to make sure, they take a spear and they jab him up in the side, up under his ribs, or up into his heart so that his heart explodes and water and blood comes out, proving that he is dead. Then they take him down and they wrap him in about 100 pounds of spices and linen and they put him in a cold tomb and they close the stone in front of it. And the reason I tell you that to highlight it is because he was dead. Because some will say, well, he wasn't really dead. No, no, he is dead. His heart is pierced. He is dead. His, his side, his back is torn open. He is dead. He's not, you know, mostly dead. He's not Miracle Max from, you know, Princess Bride. He's been dead for three days. Put in the grave on a Friday, in the grave on a Saturday. And then what happens next? Right? Verse, fifth, uh, excuse me, verse 57. This is where we pick up. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was a disciple of Jesus. This is significant because he was one of the, quote, Sanhedrin. He was in that group that put Jesus on the cross, but he did not agree with it. He was a dissenter, him and another man named Nicodemus. And so after Jesus is killed, he goes to Pilate and says, give me the body. Usually they throw the body in a trash heap because it's a criminal. But they're not going to do that to Jesus. He takes it and says, can I have the body? And Pilate says, yes. He gives him the body. And he takes the body and he wraps it in a clean linen and lays it in his own tomb. He puts 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. Where's that myrrh idea come from? Remember the birth of Jesus, the, the gifts that he was given? Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. That, that myrrh pictured what he was going to do. He's wrapped in linens. He's, he's buried. And he's put in a tomb of a rich man who bought the tomb for himself 
but he's gonna give it to Jesus, which by the way, is a fulfillment of a prophecy that was made 700 years earlier that they intended to bury him, that is Jesus, with criminals, the guy on his right and his left, but he ended up in a rich man's tomb. It's all part of God's plan. It's just one of the 330 something prophecies identifying the Messiah. Right? And so that's what happens. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite. So all while they're wrapping him up and putting him in, there's two Marys there. And that's significant because others have said, well, you know, he didn't really raise from the dead. <laughs> they just went to the wrong tomb. Well, then, quite honestly, these women need maps because they were just there on Friday. Are you telling me two days later they forgot? No. They knew exactly where he was buried. Right? And so they were there. The next day... So now we're on Saturday, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and they said, sir, we remember how that imposter, notice the language, you could translate it, that deceiver. We remember how that deceiver, that imposter Jesus said, while he was alive, after three days, I will rise. Y'all, this is a, this is a mind-blowing statement. Here's why. These men who hated Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus, were listening and they heard, I'm coming back from the grave. The irony is the disciples who heard the same thing. In fact, Jesus literally the day earlier, on Thursday night, he says to them this, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you. So Jesus had told them numerous times. I found six times just in the Gospel of Matthew. Six times that he said, I'm going, to grow, I'm going to die and rise again. I'm going to die and rise again. I'm going to die and rise again. He tells them all the day, where are they at? Where are they, what are they doing at this point? They're hiding under tables. Where should they have been? They should have been at the grave eating popcorn like this is going to be awesome. I don't know what it's going to look like. It's going to be, Peter, pass the milk duds. This is going to be great. Right? Because Jesus told them so many times, I'm coming back, 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 I'm coming back. And they believed everything he said, right? The Pharisees who didn't believe, they're worried. Not necessarily that he's coming back, but that even if people think he came back, then it's over. Right? So they say, order the tomb to be made secure. Until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. Is this likely to happen? I mean, Peter just denied Jesus to a junior high girl. So all of a sudden you're saying that these guys are going to be all like Navy SEAL and, you know, going to sneak in like Mission Impossible. It's not likely, but he says, notice the wording. This is, this is great. He says, if they do that, if they tell people he has risen from the dead, then this last fraud will be worse than the first. Now, what is the first fraud in their mind? That he was Messiah, that he was the Christ, that he was the son of God. So they're saying, we don't believe that. But if they get the body and they're able to tell people they came back from the dead, then it'll be worse than even claiming to be the son of God. Why? Because it'll validate it. It'll prove that he was who he said he was. Even if they don't believe it, even if they think it's a, a, a scam, people will think he is God. And we cannot have that because if they think he's God, then we're donezo. So let's do what we can and keep it secure, right? So Pilate says, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it secure. He gives him a guard of soldiers. Now understand the idea. I love that. He says, go make it as secure as you can. What is he saying? Do your best. Whatever it takes, do it. I can promise you they did not put Gomer Pyle in front of the thing. Okay, Gomer, 
hold me. You know, they didn't do that. The best they can would be to grab a centurion and a hundred of his soldiers. Now understand the Roman soldiers were not like the rookies. All they knew was warfare. They had been fighting wars for hundreds of years. All of the Mediterranean conquered. So these are not dudes. And when you're in Jerusalem, there's always war. There's always rebellions. So these are not the rookies. These are guys who have been in battle. They're battle hardened. And by the way, if they don't do their job, if they're guarding a prisoner and their prisoner gets away, what happens to them? They are killed. It's very Darth Vader, choke him out kind of thing, right? That's the way they ran. So you got 100, maybe 50 soldiers, whoever many he lets them have, they are battle hardened and they know if something happens to this grave, we die. Okay, that's the idea. And on top of that, it says that they set a, a seal on the stone. So they would have put the Roman seal on this big stone. And that, what that meant was, if you mess with this, you mess with Rome. And that means you die. They have done, from their perspective, everything they can to keep Jesus's body in that grave. Everything, right? You got to understand that, all right? That's what's going on. How did they do? Well, spoiler alert, they didn't do very well, all right? Verse, verse 1, now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb because they didn't forget where it was. <laughs> they knew exactly where. So it's early on Sunday morning, right? And they get up and they're gonna go and, and we learn they're gonna do some spices and stuff on the body. And, and, and I mean, they love Jesus. And so they wanna be at his tomb. But here's what Matthew does. He kind of brings you into the scene. It says, behold, literally it's like, see. It wants you to see what's going on. There was a great earthquake. Why? For an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. And I, I, I love this line. And he sat on it. I mean, there's some great humor in this story. And, and understand this. There's a little bit of a, you know, Chris, we, don't, we don't think through these things. The angel, and there's actually two of them. We find out from the other gospels. But Ma Matthew just focuses on one because only one speaks. The angel does not roll away the stone so that Jesus can get out. He's not, Jesus is not all, man, golly, I told him 6 a.m. What is going on, Gabriel? Okay, that's not happening, okay? The angel rolls away the stone so that you can see that he ain't there. That's what's going on. Jesus is already gone. In fact, you find out from the other gospels that he's wrapped in all this, like this almost mummified, right? Well, the, the, the mummy garments just kind of fall there down. It's not like Jesus like pulled it all off. He just, he disappeared. And then he appears because he's now in a glorified body that can, that can move through walls and do all sorts of things. So Jesus doesn't need the angel to open the gate. He's gone. And the angel's like, look, now here's what I love. It says that his appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. All right, we have, again, we have this image of angels that's so cheesy. And I'm trying to get you to think biblically and not, you know, like, you know, your little Bible storybooks, right? So this is what we always see when we think about this. So here's the angel, and he looks like he's a 12-year-old punk. I mean, that's really what he is. <laughs> and, and so it's like, oh my goodness, look, a 12-year-old boy shows up. Nobody is scared of that. If the soldiers are like, they see that, they're like, <laughs> we got this. Okay, you know, just go. That is not terrifying. All right? You know, we, that kid doesn't even make the football team. That's how bad that is. All right? So what, this, this is a lightning 
It's, it uses the word lightning. When lightning strikes, if you're a parent, the, what happens? It's a quarter mile away, right? You see the flash and it's immediate. You're like, you didn't even get a chance to count to figure out how long. It was in the backyard. The dog is under the bed. The kids are running down to your bed. It is terrifying. This is a terrifying picture. And these soldiers, this is what I love. The soldiers are there all, we're the man, we're Navy SEALs, we're, we're studs, we're Rome, we got a SEAL. As soon as this bad boy shows up, it says that the guards became like dead men. They're like all, ah, and they fall out. And they faint. They faint. And here's the picture, y'all. You got to put yourself there because it's it had to be just quite this scene. So here's the ladies and they're walking up. It's early in the morning. And all of a sudden, all they see is like soldiers sprawled out everywhere, like all passed out, right? I mean, a mouth, drool hanging out. And then they look and the stone's gone. And on top of the stone is this angel sitting there. Hey, ladies. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And they are terrified just because, just like the soldiers. But he says, hey, do not be afraid. Don't, don't, be, don't be terrified. Now, just remember, by the way, angels announced the birth of Jesus. Angels were at the birth of Jesus. Angels were at the resurrection of Jesus. They're constantly there. But the angel said, don't be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen, oh, and if you have your Bible, underline it, as he said. Like a bazillion times. As the prophet said constantly, Right? He says, come and see the place where he lay. Look, he's not there. Now, go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. Just like he said. Remember, I read it to you in Matthew 26. After I raise, I will go before you in Galilee. What happens in Galilee, by the way? They go to Galilee and Jesus gives this thing called the Great Commission. Right? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's what happens in Galilee. But he says, see, I have told you. And so what had happened? And the ladies leave and they run off. And on the way, they see Jesus. And then they find Peter and James and all these guys. And they're like, we see Jesus alive. Ah! And they're like, you are a kid. You're crazy. Y'all are crazy. Right? And we'll get to that in a minute. The, now, eventually, these guards wake up. Verse 14 and 15. Right? Uh, so they, oh, excuse me, verse 11. And they were going. Did I skip it? There we go. And while they were, go, they were going, behold, some of the guard went to the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people, his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. It, if, they, if, the, if government finds out that their, go, their dead body got out, they're dead men. They're dead men. And so what the, the priests are doing is, we'll take care of Pilate. Here's some dough. Here's some dough, Remy. Shh. And if anyone asks you what happened to Jesus, you say, we all fell asleep and their disciples stole the body. It is the dumbest argument I've ever heard. It fall, it does not, I may be wearing seersuckers. It does not take Matlock to break this case. I mean, there's all sorts of holes. It's like a Swiss cheese case. Number one, all right, let's assume for a fact, for a matter, that maybe this did happen, right? So you're telling me that 11 guys who were scared of a junior high girl like two nights ago, all of a sudden are willing to risk everything and sneak in with 50 to 100 Roman soldiers armed to the teeth. And you're going to go, they're going to, what are they going to go all MMA on them now? Okay, and let's assume they actually do that. Okay, then, well, 
you're all sleeping, fine. Are you telling me that they were able to roll this entire big stone without anybody waking up? Really? Oh, and by the way, if you really were sleeping, like you said, then how do you know it was the disciples? Because you were asleep. So you really didn't see them, right? There's all sorts of holes. But yet Matthew says, this is the story that's been spreading 20, 30 years later. Why? Because the Pharisees and the religious leaders knew that their worst nightmare had come true, that Jesus was alive. And everything he said was true. Now they got Lazarus running around alive. That's a big problem for them. And now they got Jesus running around alive, who, by the way, they killed. Big problemos for the Pharisees, right? This, in their mind, last fraud, what they said, had come true. And, and really for us, what it means is this. Jesus proved what he said he was. All the prophets foretold all of this hundreds of years earlier. Jesus is who he said he is. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is God. He is Christ. And y'all, for us as Christians, do you realize all of Christianity, the whole kit and caboodle rests on this one truth? I mean, if you want Christianity to go away, it's not complex. You only have to do one thing. You got to disprove the resurrection. I mean, that's all you got to do. Disprove the resurrection, and the whole thing comes crumbling down. Christianity is not rest on, on, you know, Jesus was a great teacher. He taught a lot of things, but it doesn't rest on all his teachings. Christianity teaches that Jesus was a miracle worker, and he did all sorts of things. But it doesn't all hinge on that. It doesn't hinge on the fact that he was a great servant, and he cared for the marginalized. Those things are all true, and those are models for us. But all of Christianity is based on the one fact that Jesus died was buried and he rose again. And if you want the whole thing to go away, you just have to disprove that. But here's the problem. You cannot do it. They've been trying for 2,000 years to disprove it and they cannot do it because he is alive. He's alive, y'all, right? And I know, I know there's this idea in, in the church sometimes, well, you know, we just have to believe everything in faith and we do. But just because we believe thing in faith doesn't mean we check our brain at the door. All right, God created you with a brain so you can think. And yes, we are, we're not there 2,000 years ago, but we don't have to be. There's, I could spend hours giving you proof after proof that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't have hours because I told you I was going to be short. So let me just give you a few. Because I know that there's some skeptics here, and I get it. I hear you. And you know what? I am glad that you are at least honest enough to admit you're a skeptic. Because you know who else was skeptics? The disciples. I mean, the women come to Peter and, these, and John. And they're like, he's alive. They're like, I don't believe you. I got to go see it. And even after all 10 of the rest of them had seen it, there was a guy named Thomas. Good old doubting Thomas. He gets a bad rap because he had one failure, right? One big time. If you had, you know, only one and you got called that the rest of your life, oh, there's cursing Joe and, you know, whatever, you know, there's moron Mallory, right? Whatever. But, but he gets this one bad rap. Why? Because he says, I don't believe it unless I see Jesus's hands and his side, I'm not going to believe it. And so everyone else is like, yeah, and you're, you're crazy. Well, what happens? Jesus shows up the following week. He's like, Thomas. And then, but as soon as Thomas sees it, what does he say? My Lord and my God. And then Jesus responds, hey, you believe because you saw. Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. Right? 
But just because I haven't seen him leave doesn't mean I, I, I don't know he's alive. I mean, if he's not alive, you've got to explain a lot of things. Number one, you've got to explain the fact that there are several people that worship Jesus as God, that if he wasn't, they would know it. Number one, his brothers. Number two, his mama. Like, my mom loves me, but she's pretty sure I'm not God. I mean, maybe God-like characteristics. I mean, yeah, but, but not God, okay? Right? She knows I'm not God. My brother, I got one brother. He's younger. He's pretty sure I'm not God. There's lots of wedgies and, you know, lots of conflict and biting off his Han Solo character and flushing it down the toilet. There's proof positive his brother was not sinless son of God. I mean, he knows it. Here's the thing. Jesus' brothers, the guys that grew up with him, specifically James and Jude, we know them. They wrote books in the New Testament saying that their brother was God and they worshiped him as God. And here's, you think, oh, yeah, it was just part of the conspiracy. They didn't always think that, right? For when he was doing his ministry, when he was out there healing people and teaching, they thought he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They thought, oh, man, somebody go get Jesus. He's embarrassing the family. He's doing all these healings and saying all these things, and I don't know where he gets them. What changed their mind? So that James, who was opposed to Jesus, all of a sudden literally becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem, he is the top dog, senior pastor of the biggest church in Jerusalem. What changes his mind? Only one thing, that he was dead and now he is alive. I mean, that's, what else would it take for you to worship your brother? Right? I mean, pretty big, right? His mama, she becomes this important character in the early church. What, what is it that you would worship your son as God? There's only one thing, it's the resurrection. Not only that, just let's talk about the radical transformation of the disciples. They are cowardly and hiding. And literally 50 days later, Peter all of a sudden stands up in front of the very same people who nailed Jesus to a cross and said, I don't care what you say, he's alive, you killed him. How do you like them apples? What in the world happened between there and there? I'll tell you what happened. He saw the risen Christ several times, and then he saw Jesus ascend into heaven. That's what happened. And then the spirit of Christ came upon him because that was one of the things, that was the reason why Jesus had to go away. So it's better for you that I go away so that the spirit, the spirit comes. He is a new dude. All 11 of them are. I mean, these guys are hiding and fighting and all sorts of stuff. They are completely radically transformed afterwards. Eleven of them go to their death as martyrs. Peter is crucified upside down. Andrew in a cross like, a, like an X. You've seen the, the Church of Scotland's flag. Or is it Ireland? I don't know. It's one of those in the UK. Right? Thomas is run through with spears in India. They all died saying he was alive. And if they were lying... Why would they give their life for such a radical lie? It did them no advantage. When you lie, you always lie for your advantage, don't you? I mean, when people say, how tall are you? I'm like, I'm 5'6". I'm really not 5'6". I'm like 5'5 five, five and a half. But I round up because it gives me an advantage. And I'm probably not even that anymore because I'm old and I'm shrinking. All right? You lie for an advantage. What advantage did these men have except for they were poor? And died. And these are not the kind of guys that would lie. They were, they were caring and kind. And they cared for widows and orphans. Nothing mitigates these, these men were a liar. And if, again, if they were, 
if they were lying, why were they so loyal to a Messiah who was gone? I mean, there was so many Messiahs that would come up here and there in that day. They'd pop up everywhere. And what would happen is they'd get a couple hundred people following them. The Romans would crush them. And the name would die down. And it would be gone. Just like, in, like just now, like politics. In 1984, there was a guy named Walter Mondale. He ran for president. Everyone's real excited. Walter Mondale. He loses. No one ever heard of him again. I don't even know if he lives anymore. I mean, he, he's gone. Why? Because he's gone. He didn't win. If Jesus was not who he said he was, then how come he's this poor carpenter from Nazareth? How come he's still, we're talking about him? How come he's still relevant? It, it doesn't make any sense unless he's alive. Then it makes sense. If it's a lie, I mean, come on. And speaking of that, if it's a lie, it's a horrible lie. <laughs> because all you have to do to disprove it is produce the body. They're lying. We have the body. He's in the grave. They're, you know, they drag the body through the streets. It's over. Right? If you want to, you know, if I say I'm 5'6", you're like, I can figure that. That's true. You get a little tape measure. Wrong. 5'4". You never lie about something that can be, you know, kind of easily checked. Right? Or so easily defeated. And, and their lie, I mean, not only is it, it, it something that can be validated if they're telling the truth, if they find the body, but... That their lie is told in a horrible way. Because in that day, if you were going to create a hoax like this, you would never do it the way they did it. The first thing they do is they say, the first people to see Jesus was this lady, this lady, this lady. You would never do that in that culture because a woman's testimony in that culture was not considered valid. It wasn't, you could, they couldn't even testify in court. So if you're going to try to create some, some new lie, that's the last thing you're going to do. You're going to say, oh, no, Joseph of Arimathea saw him and, and Nicodemus saw him and all these people. And then you're not going to talk about how Thomas didn't even believe it and Peter was scared. You're not going to do that. You're going to make it sound great. You're going to make them sound like Superman. But they don't. They tell it in the exact opposite way you would do it. And why? Because it's true. Because it happened that way. Right? And even Paul, when he writes 1 Corinthians, he says, you don't believe me? He's writing about 15 years after the resurrection. He says, if you don't believe me, just get yourself on a little ship, go into Jerusalem. There's like 500 dudes that are still there. They all saw him. Don't take my word for it. Go check me out. It's true. Right? He's alive. If he's not alive, why are you here on Sunday? I mean, I know you've got to go to grandma's and eat some ham and mac and cheese later. That's good. But I mean, why are we even here on Sunday? Our faith started through a bunch of Orthodox Jews who their entire life spent Saturday chilling out and going to synagogue. They would never have worked on a Sabbath because they were good Ten Commandment keeping Jews. And all of a sudden, these good Ten Commandment keeping Jews start blowing off number four on the list on the Sabbath and start gathering instead of on a Saturday, on a Sunday. And they start celebrating this weird thing where they eat matzah and drink wine. And then they dunk people. What are they doing? They're remembering the death, burial, and resurrection. We're going to do baptism in like three weeks, end of April, four weeks. And what does it picture? It pictures the death, burial, resurrection. What is communion? It pictures the death and resurrection ultimately, because we have forgiveness of sins, of Jesus. The whole new church is started based on this truth. And, and ultimately for me, here's the kind of, for me, the biggest argument. Looked at people's lives that have been changed by the gospel. I was foul mouth fowler, pagan of pagans at the Citadel. And I'm still a broken dude. I mean, all you have to do is go to a volleyball game with me and you will question my salvation. 
Okay, so I'm just, you know, one of my kids' sporting events. But I was this, and now I am this. And can you explain to me that? Because I can't. I was a selfish punk, and I still have some of those tendencies, but I have forgiven, and my life has changed. And millions and millions and millions of people's lives have been changed by the fact that they have put their faith in a carpenter from Nazareth who died on a cross and came out of the grave three, years, three days later. And you could say, well, you know, that's just chance. It's not. Because he's alive. He's alive. He did what he said he was going to do. He did what the Old Testament scriptures prophesied he was going to do. He died on a cross. He paid for sins. And he rose again. Look, that's, that is everything to us. You could boil everything in this book. Like, you know, 66 different books and thousands and thousands of words and a lot of great doctrine. It all boils down to this. Christ died for sinners and rose again. That is the Bible. That is the heart of Christianity. You can go on, oh, what about gift of this? And what about this? And what about Revelation? And No, no, it's all about this. Christ died for sinners and rose again. That is Christianity. That is the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, nor will it be. In eternity, we are still going to be singing, like we're going to sing in a few minutes, worthy is the lamb who was slain. The lamb has overcome. That's what we'll be talking about forever in absolute joy. And the reason why, look, the reason why we invite you to our church in Easter, the reason why we gather in Easter, we just want you to know Jesus. Y'all, we just want you to know him. We, we just, we believe he is that worthy and he is the source of joy and hope, right? He is our hope. He's my hope. I one day am going to die. I mean, I can eat kale and exercise every day for the rest of my life. It'd be a miserable existence, but I could do it. And maybe I lived like 130. I'm still going down. But guess what? It won't be for long. I'm going down and I'm going up. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's why I know. And all the religions of the world, you can boil them all down. I, mean, I don't care which it is. All the religions of the world is you do something to get yourself to God. Go on a pilgrimage, be a nice guy, obey the golden rule, whatever else. Ours is the only faith that, that God came to us. So you're thinking, well, I'm, you know, I believe in that, but I'm also going to be a good person. If you could be good enough to get to heaven, then you don't need Easter. Because Jesus could have came down from heaven and said, be nice, root for the bulldogs, Go to church on Easter and Christmas. He could have skipped the cross. He had to die for sin because man is separated from God because of our sin. God so loved us that he did not want that. He wants us to have eternal life. So he sends his son to take my place, to take your place. And he says, now, if you believe in him, you can have right now eternal life. So I may go down and I won't eat kale, but I am going up. And you could too, if you put your faith. And that's why, man, if you're here... What, what, what God wants you to know, and he sent me and others to tell you, is that he loves you, he wants to forgive you of your sin, and that's why we have Easter. And if you got, look, you got questions about that, you're like, oh, I don't know why I have this and this. Grab me after the service. We have a prayer team that's in the back hall. They would love to talk with you. They would love to pray with you. Man, that is why God brings you to us this morning. We're going to celebrate, as Christians, the joy we have in Christ, but we want you to be part of that. As we're going to sing, we want you to join the song of the redeemed. Not of the perfect, 
of the redeemed, those who have been rescued by Jesus. Y'all, he is so worth it. And he is alive. And right now, as he has been for the last 2,000 years, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is he seated? Because his work is done. And the next thing he will do, and when he gets up the next time, it's because God the Father is going to say, go get your church. He's going to be riding on a white horse, and he's going to take us to be with him forever. You say, well, that's kind of crazy. So is a dead man coming back from the grave, but I believe it. And I'd invite you to believe it too. So let's sing, let's stand, let's worship a, a God who is alive and sing to him like he is alive. I, I, was, I was up the street this morning, I parked way across the street and I heard Ethan and the praise team practicing and I could hear all the way up the block and I'm like, that's what I'm talking about, Willis. There's some folks in this neighborhood that we invited them to church this week, but they didn't come. But let them know that Jesus is alive despite the fact that they're not in here in the room with us. All right, let me pray and we'll sing. Father, thank you again for showing us the way to you is through your son, that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, that no one comes to the Father but through you. But you did not leave us as orphans. You came, you paid the penalty for our sin, Lord Jesus. You died in our place as our substitute. You rose again. We believe it, we affirm it. We're gonna sing it now. And for those who have put their faith in anything else, even their own baptism, church membership, being a good person, they would see the flaw of that. That there is no no other name under heaven by which men are saved, the name of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.